Welcome to Drop Everything Podcast number 48. I'm the host, Dan Holzman. On this episode, we have a special guest, juggling journalist, world traveler, and rock show aficionado, Raphael Harris. Before we get to Raphael, let's thank our sponsors, starting with the International Jugglers Association. This is the final podcast before the IGA Festival, taking place in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, July 10th through the 16th. Go to juggle.org for information about the festival or stick around to the end of this podcast because we go into some detail about some events that will be taking place in Iowa. Let's also thank Ringdama by going to www.ringdama.com and buying one for everyone in your family. Buy one for your friends, buy one for your enemies to confuse them. No matter what, buy yourself a Ringdama, the toy you wear like a ring, but play like a toy. Okay, enough preamble, enough sponsorship. Let's go for the interview with Raphael Harris. Welcome to Drop Everything Podcast number 48. A good friend, world traveler, juggling journalist, Raphael Harris. Hello, Raphael. Hi there, Daniel. It is great to be here. Where am I catching you? You're an East Coaster. Yes, I'm in uh, Manhattan. I'm a New Yorker. And I want you to know that I just did my hair and nails specially just for you. Thank goodness, because... uh, the video portion is always very well received, and I think it's on the channel. Uh, I'll have to look that up. It's not, uh, not, not available in every state, so we try not to promote it. Now, I, I'm very jealous. I think you saw Jerry Seinfeld last night. Is that correct? Yes, I did. I went to the early and the late show. He was hilarious. Are you a Jerry, a Jerry Seinfeld fan, or is this something you do regularly, go see uh, comics? I am a Jerry fan, but uh, living in New York, I do get the opportunity to go to theater, ballet, opera, rock, rock concerts. As you know, I wrote a book recently, which was published called This Is My Generation, Rock Legends from the 60s and 70s on stage today. And it's photography of all the great legends from the 60s and 70s who invented rock and roll who are still performing today. So in addition to your juggling career, which we'll get into You've also had a career as a, a rock journalist. Was this something that was a hobby as a kid, that you were always into rock and roll? How'd you get into that? Yeah, going to all the concerts, growing up in a musical family, seeing The Who and seeing Kiss and Judas Priest and Paul McCartney. And uh, coming from a musical family, my parents loved uh, the opera, and my brother became a rock and blues violinist and guitarist. So we, we there was always music going on there's always music around did you remember your first rock and roll concert the first one you ever saw sure are you kidding it was like it was yesterday this was probably in 1975 i saw edgar winter and then shortly after that the jefferson starship with grace slick and then the who with keith moon and then from then on it was just one one after mm-hmm. another all right here's, here's my first rock and roll concert ready 1974, okay. Led Zeppelin oh at the Forum. Gasp. Oh, that is, that is epic. That was a good one. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, That's a good start. That's about the same time I started juggling. I started juggling when I was about 13 or 14. 
When did you become exposed to juggling? When did you first see juggling? I saw some juggling on TV. Johnny Carson and my sister was um, always doing artistic things, drawing and writing poetry and juggling. When I was 14, it was 1974, I decided that my, my sister went on a day trip. I said, when she comes back, I'm going to show her a three-ball cascade. And I taught myself how to juggle with socks. And uh, she was very encouraging. And then from there... Somehow along the line, you know, there wasn't a lot of access to juggling at that point. Somewhere along the line, I got a copy of the Carlo book. Yep. Yeah, the juggling book by Carlo. That's the same one I learned from. It came out in 1974. Yeah, fantastic. I got the juggle bug and I practiced eight hours a day until I could do every trick in that book with balls and clubs. So wow. the reverse cascade and the half reverse cascade, I did everything with balls, did everything with clubs. And then, and you know, you make the clubs out of the bleach bottle and, and everything. I did the whole thing. But then he says something at the end of the book, which kind of affected me adversely, is he said, you know, you don't have to learn how to do five clubs. It's not really necessary. You don't have, you know, you don't have to go in <laughs> sure. this direction. I think that it affected me uh, adversely. <laughs> there was another book. I forget what it was. But in one passage, he says, and if you learn seven balls, the world will open up to you and you can travel as a professional performer. That, that, maybe yeah, that was a bit more the, encouraging, that kind of stuff. That's the book I should have got. I remember there was another book, something about club juggling, which came out years later, and he said the opposite. He said five clubs is a trick like any other trick, and if you put your mind to it and you work on it, you can do it too. I met Carlo one time. He came to one festival, and uh, it was disappointing that he wasn't a very good juggler, to be honest. I mean, that was the book I learned from as well. Uh, I don't remember him being more than like a three-club, almost a cascade kind of juggler. Very good boogie-woogie piano player. Never saw him again, but I do owe him a big debt because that was the book I learned from. Yes, even though I didn't become like a five-club juggler, I did become a four-club juggler and a five-ring juggler, and I kind of went into other areas, like getting pretty proficient at Diablo and Devil Stick and fire eating and doing tricks with knives. So I, I started to learn like a lot of different things and, and throwing in comedy and throwing in audience participation and ball spinning. And that's how my act developed into what I called Sir Juggly's One Man Circus because it had so many different things that it, it gave it that theme. So it ended, up, it ended up working out very well for me, actually. And when did you start working? So... You're working with parties and stuff? How'd you get started in the business? I got started in the business basically volunteering at parties. You know, you have enough skills and things, then you're at a party and you just naturally start doing things. I would do balloons. I would do bar mitzvahs and weddings. After a while, instead of just doing a couple of tricks, I would put together a very short but defined routine with a beginning, a middle, and an end. And people started to come over to me and say, hey, that was terrific. I want you to come to my kid's birthday party. I want you to do something at this summer camp. I want you to do something at a little school assembly. And whatever they said, I said, yes. Mm -hmm. I don't know wh whether I knew how to do it or not. I said, yes. And then I figured it out. Then I started charging money. And after a while, it developed. It wasn't like, it wasn't like something I planned. It kind of organically developed on its own this is while you were a teenager this is your teenage years i didn't really start working at it uh in t and thinking of it in terms of money until i was already married when i was oh. 23 
Gotcha. Yeah. What What do you think you were going to do? I mean, did you have a, a path you were already on before you became a professional juggler, or what was your life like until then? I was studying uh, in university. I was studying science. I was going to be involved in either science or history or art. Later, I employed these things in my writing, writing books of uh, history, science fiction, becoming an artist and a photographer, or teaching school, something like that. I didn't really have in mind to be a a waiting tables. You know, I I tried all different things. And then eventually I started getting enough gigs that I didn't have to do anything else. That's really interesting that you started kind of later on because I always thought that you had a very early start. I'm not sure why. But so you didn't even start performing until you were 23. That's that's uh, much later than I thought. I was performing from the time I was 14 or 15 until I was until I was 23. But once I got married, that's when I started charging money. That's a little different. Hmm, I, I got you. And that's was that when you became Sir Juggly? And when you when you started charging money? Uh, yeah, eventually I developed from a kind of a show into a character, an act. I kind of, I understood that. And this is something that I also try to uh, try to explain to anyone who I'm teaching or neophyte performers. You don't want to be a juggler. You want to be an act. You know, you don't hmm. say, oh, we have a singer when you have Diana Ross. You say, we have Diana Ross. So you don't want to be a juggler. You want to be the Raspini brothers or you want to be Sir Juggly's one-man circus, you know, because people don't really know what a juggler is. Well, I think you have to start if you want to have a chance of success, at least from an original place. Like like if you're juggling it's five clubs and seven balls and, and just the very standard things everyone has seen, in a way you're sort of repeating what's already been done. Well, what's unique about that? Where's your point of view? So right. that's the one thing we have to sell, really, is what makes us unique. So to identify that, and that's a really good piece of advice, is very important for the neophyte performer. Absolutely. You've got to try a lot of different things and then go in the direction that you're comfortable with, you're, you're excited about, and what's unique for you. You know, you can walk into a museum that you've never seen before and boom, that's a Turner. That's, that's a Picasso. You can, you can see the style of the artist and a juggler should be able to do that as well. That, oh, I see that move. That's, that's a Jay Gilligan move. Oh, mm-hmm. look at that fantastic, look at that fantastic um, move. That's unique to you. It's important too to go in the direction the universe is sort of showing you success. So if you're doing, if you're doing a lot of different kinds of gigs and at certain ones of them, you're like, oh, this is a good fit for me or they're inviting me back or that's when the audience seems to respond the best to me is in those types of situations. It can help you to sort of understand which direction you'd have the greatest success in the long run, just seeing where the universe is sort of open to you. Absolutely. And that's why it's also important to do street performing and to get out in front of people. And, uh, you know, you don't have a gig and you don't have a birthday party. Get out on the street. Find out where they do it in your town or the nearest place. Get, get uh, inspiration from other performers and other jugglers and get out and do, and do your own thing and see what works. Because sometimes you think something's going to work and it doesn't work at all, and sometimes you don't really know what's going to happen, and then all of a sudden, boom, it becomes your signature trick. You have to get comfortable with that, too. You have to get comfortable with the idea of sort of failing at something, or even if you take a trick out, it's not quite ready, and you, you drop a few times, and you get that kind of embarrassment feeling of, should I really be out here doing this, yet I'm going to do it anyways. you gotta, you got to build up those muscles, right? Those 
I don't know if it's lack of embarrassment muscles, just that ability to get up in front of people and give it a go. Yes. Well, when you when you initially, if you haven't been performing much and you start getting up in front of people, you're going to have stage fright, you're going to shake, and you're not going to be able to do anything. But once you start performing a lot, then something clicks, and instead of feeling stage fright, you get psyched, and you can you get in the zone, and you can do a better performance that you could ever do in practice. But it takes it takes a lot of practice. Yeah, I was like what Paul Ponce uh, said here on the on the this interview. We said. He practices seriously, but then when he gets out on stage, it's all about fun. It's all about entertaining. So he, like, he practices for perfection seriously, but then when he gets on stage, it's all about showing your gifts, showing what you've spent all that time practicing on. Right. Very well put. I think that's a nice way to look at it. But of course, if you don't practice enough off stage. No, <laughs> you can't do a, um, I was talking to David Kane about this as well. You can't get up and do, you cannot perform a trick in front of people unless you can do it at least 10 at least nine times out of 10 in practice because the second if you're not almost a hundred percent on it in practice then the second you get up in front of somebody you're going to miss and nobody wants to see a juggler drop because all they remember if they're not jugglers all they remember is oh the juggler was amazing or oh the juggler kept dropping they don't appreciate the subtle differences between numbers and patterns it's just oh he kept dropping a lot you know and who wants to see what you can't do so do the tricks that you can do a hundred percent then once you're proficient at it like paul Ponce said, you, you you can jam out you can do it without thinking you can have a conversation you can look around you're not going to be missing so you can develop your your persona it's all about persona. I'm sure I've said it way too many times on this podcast, but I always think the audience, they don't know the difference between a good juggler and a bad juggler, but they know the bad juggler drops. Yes. So that's all they know is if you're doing eight balls, 10 balls, but you're dropping, but you have a nice clever pattern with three balls or eating the apple or simple tricks, but you're doing them competently without making any mistakes. In their mind, that guy is good. The guy exactly. making mistakes and, and dropping that five club back crosses. Like, look at that guy. I remember we were working one time with a juggler, Gregory Popovich, and oh, he, yeah, he was working too. in a hotel, and they didn't like him as much because being up high, there were people around him, they were afraid that there was more chances of him dropping or hitting somebody, and so they, they wanted a clown. They wanted somebody who was even less dangerous. So all they cared about was this juggler might drop and hit somebody, this juggler has no chance of dropping because he's doing three balls. Let's go for the guy doing three balls. Right. So, and he's doing five club back crosses exactly. on a freestanding ladder. And he had this huge crowd around him because of these amazing tricks. But they're like, well, we can't have that. He might drop on somebody. And the, the guy doing the balloons and the... So sometimes cleanliness and not dropping is the most important thing. Oh, yeah. yeah. And you got to know your audience. This audience wants comedy. This audience wants skill. This audience doesn't want comedy. You know, you got to know what your audience is. You got to be flexible. Now, were you on the East Coast at this time? Because you traveled around quite a bit. Where were you living uh, when working as a professional juggler? In 1981, I moved to Israel and I lived in Israel for many years. And I basically developed my act in Israel. I already learned how to juggle when I, I was growing up in New York and Long Island. One of my uh, original partners was Eric Winokur. I don't know if you know Eric. He was a uh, he won a bronze medal in Fargo 
and a very, very clever, intelligent, and uh, creative act with contact juggling and ball bouncing. He was a terrific juggler. So he was basically one of my best friends in high school, and we worked together and de- developed our skills. Then I went, basically, I was always interested in traveling, and I went tra- traveling around the world. I stayed in Israel for many years. Most of my performing was done there. And then about 10 years ago, 10 or 15 years ago, I moved back to New York and started working uh, on cruise ships and some other festivals and things like that. Are you still working as a juggler or are you you now a full-time journalist? Um, I'm not performing as much as I used to. I'm hardly performing at all. I'm working more now doing writing and photography. Now, while you were in Jerusalem, you started a circus school. Was that something you were always interested in? It was the Jerusalem Circus School for Children. How'd that come about? Yeah, that was terrific. I always had a, a rapport with children. I have six children of my own. Wow. And I was a, a yes, and I was a, a, a teacher for a little while, for a couple of years, teaching English. Always had a good rapport with children, wrote children's books. And there were kids in the neighborhood, and they would get home from school, and they'd be, like, goofing off. And I was the guy who was teaching them how to do a three-ball cascade or make a, a balloon into an animal. And then... It occurred to me that I would um, try and put together a neighborhood circus activity. When the um, principal of the school near where I lived, I knew him and I knew his kids. And when he heard about it, he said he gave me the keys to the school. He said, go into the gym, whatever it is, and take it over and do whatever you want there. And basically, we would have lessons once a week, and it developed. I had 10, 15, 20 kids who would come. We would do a different skill each week. We would warm up. We would practice. We would learn passing. And, okay, this week we're going to do beanbags. This week we're going to do rings. This week we're going to do cigar boxes. This week we're going to make cigar boxes. This week we're going to do unicycle. And by the time I went through the cycle of every week a new skill or a new goal, it took years to go, to go through the mm. whole thing. And then sometimes I would have uh, guests. Today we have a guest performer. This is a, uh, a magician who I know. This is a professional clown. It developed into fantastic things. Some of these kids became professional jugglers. There's a, a, a guy, in, um, a student of mine, he went from learning three-ball cascade to being a professional juggler. Joseph Brody, he's terrific. He drives around in a van full of unicycles and stilts and clubs. He's, he's terrific. And some, some of the other kids also went on to, um, to become professionals. And you were the director for 15 years. For 15 years, yes. Is it still going on? It's still going on? It is. The circus school is undergoing a hiatus period right now. Unfortunately, it stopped. Uh, once I left, it kind of fell apart. But um, my son, who lives in Jerusalem, Alicia, who is a terrific juggler, and he does unicycle and capoeira and drumming and juggling. So um, I'm trying to get him to restart it. We'll see at the moment in between gigs. Let's talk about some of your uh, career highlights. Now, you got into the Guinness Book of Records. I don't know the exact details. It was for the longest football spin. Can you describe uh, what that is and how you got the record? This kind of goes back to the circus school and the articles on how to be how to be a uh, juggler, how to how to perform as a juggler. I was explaining to them, like I mentioned, to be an act, not don't be an, a juggler, be an act, mm-hmm. and also to once you start getting gigs, do some do publicity stunts. Sure, you know, joggle joggle the local marathon. Set a set a Guinness Book of World Record. There's a new thing called the record setters. 
uh, website of records. Is that recordsetters.com or something like that? Is that what that is? Recordsetters.com, right. They, yeah. do, they do have a book, but they don't publish it every year. But they have this ongoing website, and people send them all kinds of interesting records. And it's much easier to um, get onto their website than to get into the Guinness Book of World Records. Because the Guinness Book of World Records, people send them thousands and millions of records, and they choose a very, very small amount to be published. But anything that's a legitimate record is published in the record setters uh, website, you know, but I mean, it, they have to, you have to have vi video sure, evidence. Proof. You have to have some kind of proof. The other thing that I was telling people was to get on TV, be an extra in a movie, do some kind of um, some publicity for your act. So at that point I decided to, um, so I'm going to get into the Guinness Book of World Records. I don't know how I'm going to do it, but I'm going to do it. And right. the first, the first year that I was successful was in the, Israeli Hebrew edition of the Guinness Book of World Records, which was my uh, the first person to joggle the Jerusalem Marathon. Wow. Do you remember what your time was for the marathon? It wasn't so fast. <laughs> <laughs> but I finished it. But still, quite an accomplishment, yeah. Uh, it, wasn't, it wasn't easy, but I finished it, and uh, I was interviewed on the radio, and, you know, I have the perfect face for radio. I'm, I, I understand that that's very important. Oh, you're being self-deprecating. You're a very handsome man, Raphael. Don't, don't try to... You, from a distance. <laughs> you don't have, you don't have from, six kids for nothing. I mean, you're, you're a, from behind. <laughs> well, uh, let's just, uh, let's say. Uh, yes, so uh, that was the first time. And then after that, they published in the Hebrew edition the next year for... I had, so besides, I do ball, you know, in spinning, there's two types of spinning. There's ball spinning, and mm -hmm. then there's like rug spinning, where you can spin rugs and pillows and things sure. like that. It's a different principle. I always called that pediddling. You ever call that pediddling? Pediddling. Pediddling because it's like what they did with a Frisbee. Well, a Frisbee is different. A pediddle is you're actually moving your finger in a circular Right, you're keeping manner. it going. A Frisbee, right. you're still doing more of a, a, a delay or a stall. You might be tapping it, but it's usually this, the Frisbee is more of a, a dynamic kind of spin. No, you can do – with a Frisbee, you can do both. With a Frisbee, sure. you can spin it like a, like a basketball and then let it, let it spin, or you can also pediddle it where you're keeping it going indefinitely. Sure. Right. There are two types of spinning. Okay, so uh, the next year I got into the Guinness Book of World Records Hebrew edition for pediddling or spinning a swimming pool for over three minutes. When I say swimming pool, I mean like a small plastic children's wading pool. Huh. That's a good gimmick, though. I could see that. It's, it's kind a, of a it's great. good picture. It's, <laughs> yes. It was a good photo op. I had an idea one time to do that with uh, like plate spinning, like a big basketball halftime to have those wading pools and try to get like eight or nine on, on sticks, like a giant plate spinning. But those have a lot of drag to them, right? There's a lot of effort. Just spin one of those things. It's very effective. You get that swimming pool up on your finger and keep it spinning for a minute or so. You're that's very effective. Yeah. Then you get the kids to jump in. It's great. Atten yeah, attention grabbing. Yeah, it makes a big splash. It makes a big splash. There you go. But then you had a, a record for the longest uh, what soccer ball spin? The soccer ball. Yeah, I would do one, two, and three soccer balls. Three soccer balls. Two on a two on each index finger and one on a mouth stick for a little over 10 or 15 seconds. It's very hard to keep that going. And one ball on one finger for a little bit, of, about three and a half minutes. 
Is that that's that not with a single the, spin? That's with the pediddling technique. With a soccer ball, you you initially launch it, and then it right. kind of spins by itself. To keep it going, you kind of hit it with the other hand. Oh, I got you. I got you. Like you would with a basketball too, like keeping a basketball spinning. Exactly right. So some of these records I set, and they were broken later. But sure. uh, initially setting the record was a way to a way to get into the uh, into the book. In fact, I had the at one point I had the world's fastest animal balloon on the record setter's website for uh, a, a balloon dog in six seconds. I made a worm one time. It took me less than a less than a second. Oh wow! I should I should do that. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe the worm's not, not qualified as an animal, though. So The worm can be in the dog. So there you go. There you go. Well, I like because I actually set a couple myself. And that's how I put it on my, my resume is I've set two records. Both of my records have been broken. Well, you had, some, you had some serious records. Yeah, you had some very, very good records. Well, I had one in the actual book, which was eight shaker cups in the air at one time. Then I had yeah. one in the Guinness Sports Records book for bouncing the ball on the golf club. And when I did it, it was about 15 minutes, you know, for when I set the record. And now I think Brad Weston just set it at like an hour and 45, just something crazy. So, yeah. But that's a good tip, though, because it's all about getting publicity. And people know the Guinness name even today. Or when you say I'm a world record holder, that carries some weight. Yes. I mean, I, I don't know if you remember when we were growing up in, we, and we would look at the um, Guinness Book of World Records. Let's see if there's anything about juggling. And there oh, was yeah. like a half a page with a couple of uh, entries. It was basically Rastelli did 10, 10 balls and some guy did three balls for like two hours. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and, and that was it. And then uh, depending upon the – over the years, depending yeah. upon the editor, there were more – or less records, depending upon who the editor thought it was interesting. But I mean, the, the guy who uh, did three balls for like a couple of hours—that that record has been uh, smashed. People are doing it for like 24 hours, three balls. What? That, that's that's a difficult record to break. I remember one year they got quite gimmicky. It was like juggling on a surfboard. Like, okay, that's not really record worthy, or unless they were doing it for hours, or juggling while skiing. So sometimes right. I feel it's easier to set a new record than to beat an existing record. Yeah, definitely, because they're, they're interested in selling copies of the book. So yeah. they want interesting pictures. The Guinness Book of World Records from many years ago, from like the 50s, this was, it hardly had any pictures. This was a book of science. It yeah. was a book of ge- geometry and geology. And then it became yeah, world's biggest, like, world's smallest. Yeah, it was a book of science. And then it became Britney Spears this. <laughs> And Justin Bieber, that, you know, and the same thing with the National Geographic. You look at National Geographic from the 20s. It was some guy went out into the into the jungle for three years and wrote a 20 page article about it. There was maybe one picture. Now it's all pictures and a half a page of text. That's the way it is. It's still out there, though. It's still the game to try to get those types of things, try to get on the Guinness record TV shows. It is. And anyone can do it. Absolutely. It's not easy, but you can do it, yes. And also, you got to perform for uh, the Prime Minister of Israel. Yes, I performed for the former Prime Minister of Liechtenstein and the Prime Minister of Israel, Benjamin Netanyahu. When I performed for the Prime Minister of Israel, he was actually the Prime Minister at the time. So mm. that, was, that was a good thing. That's game. a big thrill, yeah. And I have to say that I think the Juggling Festival in Israel, I was invited out there as a special guest 
was it, three years ago. That had to be one of my favorite festivals I've ever been to. The experience of it, the experience of being in Israel, being in Jerusalem, the Israeli juggling scene, uh, fantastic. So I, I can't recommend that festival highly enough. Yeah, that's an amazing festival. It's, it's very well organized. The Israeli juggling scene is very happening, and they have a, they're very organized. They bring terrific jugglers from guests from Europe and from the United States. My very dear friend Scott Seltzer is uh, involved in organizing it. Actually, in 1994, I went to the uh, Burlington IJA Festival. It was my first festival. And that was a particularly awesome festival. It was, um, I think, Tony Duncan won yeah. the individuals. I was there that year, David, sure. Yeah, yeah, sure. That's when I met you. That Scott, um, what's his name? Um, David Kane and Jay Gilligan won the uh, the gold in the teams as yeah. Crash and Burn. Right, right. And Joey Cousins won the juniors, and there were. It was just a great great festival. Everybody's first festival is thrilling. And when I went back to I went back to Jerusalem the next year and I organized a juggling festival and they've had a juggling festival every year since then. That was 1994? That, 19, uh, that, that was 1994 and then I went, went and uh, organized the festival in 1995. Now you travel quite a bit. What other festivals have you been to like around the, the world and any stand out as as must-go-tos. Yes, uh, traveling is a hobby of mine. I've been to over 80 countries, and I love going to um, festivals or just uh, climbing mountains or whatever it may be. I went to a lot of festivals in Europe of street performers, street mm -hmm. performer festivals, and you cannot imagine some of these cuckoo crazies. It is terrific. I saw, something, I saw that in um, Zurich and in Berlin, and some of these festivals are, are absolutely astonishing. I would recommend anybody, especially in the summer, to try some of these. There's also something that I've gone to a number of times called Rainbow Family Gathering. I don't know if you've heard of this. I it's have. Kind of more of a. That's in Oregon yeah, or it's, California. It's in a different place each year. It's in some kind of a national forest. People camp, and there's music and drum circles, and they really respect jugglers. So there's always some juggling going on as well at these. Now, you mentioned uh, Scott Seltzer. He's also the publisher of E-Juggle Magazine, where you were a journalist. I want to ask you about one of your articles. I don't know if it was for E-Juggle, but it's one that caught my eye, which was juggling in biblical times, that the fact that juggling was mentioned in some of these ancient texts. Can you talk about that a little bit? That article, let me... Let me let me try to remember what the exact title of it was when it was published. It was published first in Juggler's World magazine, which was published by Bill Giddus. Mm -hmm. I think at that time it was called Juggling in the Talmud. I think okay. I, I, I think it's called Juggling in the mentioned in the Talmud. Now, the Talmud is an ancient text of over 20 volumes. It's an encyclopedic work, and it's over 2,000 years old. It mentions all different aspects of life. It mentions farming, it mentions war, it mentions philosophy, it has mysticism, it has all kinds of interesting facts. It's like a window into what life was like in ancient times, in ancient Judea and in um, Mesopotamia. So uh, they mention people, they talk about people and different uh, activities and heroes and one of the um, things that they mentioned was that there were jugglers at a festival, a biblical festival called the Festival of Sukkot. At that time, 
there was the temple in Jerusalem, and part of the festivities was a feast and music, and there were jugglers. And Shimon ben Gamliel was the leader of the community, and he is mentioned as having juggled eight torches. <laughs> and it specifically says right. that he juggled eight torches. He threw them and caught them one after the other, and they did not touch each other. The, so he didn't do a multiplex. Right, right, right. Because they would have mentioned multiplex probably in the Talmud, like, but then he got two at once. Right. <laughs> wow, eight so the, torches, um, huh? That's were those Dubai torches, you think? Well, I um, I speculate <laughs> that they were homemade torches that he took uh, rags and and mailed it to some kind of a wooden dowel and soaked it in oil and set it ablaze. I don't mean to pl- bring into question the stories of the Talmud. Do you think that might have been exaggerated? This this is a good question. You know. Like if I said, if 100 years from now, I said to you, you know, 100 years ago, there was this guy, his name was Anthony Goddard, he juggled eight torches. You'd be like, oh, 100 years ago, they couldn't do that. It was probably not, you know, yeah. really. Uh... But then you'd go that Anthony Goddard was trained by his dad and he had access to some of the best circus equipment available compared to a guy juggling homemade torches with no training who somehow managed to get eight going. Who says he didn't have training? Well, he didn't have Nick Gatto training. <laughs> In those days, they had an advantage. They didn't have television and Facebook and Internet and all <laughs> these distractions. You know, I mean, they built the pyramids. They built the uh, Angkor Wat temple. People were able to accomplish very great things. And it does say eight torches. <laughs> I'd like to picture it, too. I'd like to picture it in my mind, a guy doing eight torches back 2,000 years ago. I think it would be quite fantastic. Well, yes. Whether I can definitively say it, this definitely happened the way right. we imagined to happen or not, I cannot say. But it does say it does say he juggled eight torches. He threw them and caught them one after another, and they didn't touch each other. It's like specifically exactly the way you would describe right. somebody juggling eight torches. And there were other jugglers as well. Uh, there was another juggler who juggled at weddings as part of the festivities to gladden the congregation. And one of the um, leading leaders of the generation said, he complimented him and he said, we dance with one and he dances with three. Hmm. Oh, that's so interesting about the fact that this activity we're involved in juggling in one form or another has existed for so long, but really never quite, you know, like they say, the festival we have coming up in uh, Cedar Rapids, I think we might have around 400, 450 people, but it's never really quite caught on like so many other activities and become something where millions of people do it. It's, it's odd. Yeah, this is always a question. You know, if you ask somebody, how many singers can you name? I can name thousands. How many magicians can you name? I can name a bunch. How many jugglers can you name? What's a juggler? You know, <laughs> this, is, this has been going on. <laughs> I, always, I blame Rastelli. I blame Rastelli for dying young because I think the thing with the juggler is the juggler is always part of a bigger show, like a singer or a magician or, or someone else can, can have an identity as the person being responsible for the whole performance. I think Rastelli, when he died, his show got to be around 40 minutes long, like, his, like he would have a solo turn in the circus. And uh-huh. I think he was getting ready to kind of go off on his own like one-man tour kind of like a Houdini or a, or a Thurston or a Blackstone in magic. And I, uh-huh. I think I've had the tradition of the one-man juggling show 
based on someone's name, like Rastelli coming to town. I think the idea of the juggler as its own personality could have been established. But now juggling is always part of something else. Right. You're part of a review. Now we're going to have a comedian. Now we're going to have a magician. Now we're going to have a juggler. Now we're going to have something else. Right. And the one way juggling has become popular is sort of the comedy juggler or like, you know, Michael Davis or the Karamazovs, where the juggling is great and people like the juggling. And I'm sure you've had this experience on cruise ships where people go like, oh, I didn't when there was a juggler, I didn't want to go. But it was so funny and entertaining. Yes. So it's like the comedy and the other stuff that sells the juggling and not, not vice versa. Absolutely. In fact, did you, you saw recently, I'm sure, uh, Victor Key did so well yep. on America's Got Talent. Oh, was, yeah. Was that what it was? America's yeah, last, Got Talent, last right? Last year. And the Passing last Zone, year. too. They did very good. And the Passing Zone did fantastic. Okay. Now the judges have to, you know, say something smart. So Victor Key does this incredible, beautiful, artistic dance, and he's such a skilled juggler. And then now the uh, judges are going to say something, and all the judges say the same thing. We, we, we love the show. It was so great because you're not just a juggler. You're this, that, the other thing. And, oh, you were wonderful because you're not just a juggler. You're a this, that, or the other dancer. thing. You know, they never say you're not just a dancer or you're not just an artist or you're not just Leonardo da Vinci. What's being a juggler? Because they don't know what a juggler is. Obviously, Victor Key is a fantastic artist. But for that show, I think one of his best attributes is he's a sexy devil. And you know what I mean? The, yeah. the ladies like him and the, the, the outfit, the body, the charisma. I mean, it's very, very impressive just his way he carries himself. He could have been maybe doing anything, juggling or anything else. But that with that persona, with that amount of charisma, even juggling couldn't hold him back, which is sad. But he say. is a juggler. Oh, he yeah. He is a juggler. And the passing zone, I mean, they do comedy and they do danger, sure. but they are jugglers and why don't the public have this concept that oh i want to go see a juggler the closest thing i've seen to anything like that is basically water on mars because they don't say yeah. that there's something else they say we are jugglers if you don't like it we don't care we're, <laughs> we're going to do juggling and we're going to blow your mind and everybody loves it and it, it changes the way people perceive jugglers oh jugglers juggling can be amazing yeah i saw them when i was in new york in february and it's unrelenting juggling. It's like juggling in your face. It's like juggling. <laughs> and it's not something else, right? It's not nope. juggling. And it is juggling. And it is it is awesome. But it's also young and hip juggling. I mean, it's like, and visually pleasing and, and, and creative. And so they're bringing a lot to it. But it's definitely juggling, juggling show. I liked it a lot. Yeah, it was great. Well, look, uh, painting, all right? Pa I'm a painter. I'm an artist. Well, you could be Leonardo da Vinci. You can be sure. Turner. You can be Picasso. But you're essentially, well, you're a thinker, and this is uh, this has philosophy, and this has humor. But basically, you're a painter. That's your canvas. And juggling is our canvas. And whether we add danger or comedy or um, dance, whatever it is, we're jugglers. I'm not apologizing for being a juggler. <laughs> well, to me, it's always about this. It's the idea is that you develop the technical skill of a juggler to express yourself creatively through it. I mean, I use my yes. juggling as a, as a vehicle to express myself creatively. But to do that, you have to sort of develop a certain skill set, a certain technical proficiency. Because with juggling, it's very unforgiving. 
crypto, you can't just start over or erase or, or, or clean it up. It exists in the moment. So it's a very unforgiving medium, but it's a very expressive, wonderful medium when in the hands of an artist. So, you know, you and I are on the same page there for sure. Absolutely. I'd been doing my act for a while. And then one day I was doing that. And one of the other performers said to me, gave me a piece of advice. You know how people are constantly giving you advice and it's like the worst possible advice that you've obviously Sometimes. thought of and rejected. But this one comedian, this woman gave me a piece of advice that changed my whole act. She said, I would get up and, you know, I, would, I, I do a lot of comedy. It's very important for me to express myself through humor. And the juggling is an excuse to, to work the humor in. So I would get up there and I would say some funny thing or something like that. And then I would do the juggling. She said, you know what? First, you do one of your juggling routines. First, you do the balls and clubs or whatever it is. Then you get up and say the jokes or bring the kid from the audience up on stage or something like that. Because once you grab their attention and they see you do something that's disciplined and skilled, then they're much more likely to, oh, I want to be on stage. Oh, I want to listen to what this guy says. And it, it changed my act. And she was absolutely right. See, that's funny because when we started out, we got a, a piece of advice from Dick Franco. And Dick Franco said the same exact thing. He said, come out, establish yourself as jugglers first, then show that you're comedians. And for us, right. that was the exact wrong thing. And, and we spent like two years doing that. And we were in some situations where we really, that wasn't us at all. We, so we needed to come out and establish ourselves as comedians first and get them on our side and then juggle. That's amazing. So it's so funny how that, that advice can be <laughs> really important in two different ways for two different acts. You could say, well, there's no rules. That teaches you that there's no yeah. rules. Or you could say, well, that is the rule. The rule is everybody's got to find their way that works for them. Amazing. Yeah. I mean, he, well, he was trying to mislead us. That's what worked for him because I think right. he was more of a juggler first. And we definitely became more comedians first. It's all about finding that individual path that works for you. And now, of course, uh, I'm festival director, and I saw you in El Paso. I haven't really asked you, yeah. are you coming to Cedar Rapids? I am coming to Cedar Rapids. I am looking forward to this festival like you have no idea. In fact, Scott Seltzer, the editor of eJuggle Magazine, has asked me to be the correspondent for and review writer for the festival for eJuggle Magazine. Oh, great. You know what? We also have uh, the two-ply press. They're going to be our daily news corp. So they're also going to be there covering, like, uh, they're going to do a daily blog, and they're going to put out one issue of the two-ply press as a souvenir paper on Saturday morning. So you'll be have fe you'll have fellow journalists. Oh, you said you had surprises. You said you had surprises up your sleeve. So <laughs> this is one of the surprises you've got up your sleeve. You know, I'll just mention briefly that in the 70s and 80s, there were six juggling magazines on paper at once and now there isn't even one there was juggler's world yeah um the catch, the catch in england yeah cascade Ca or cascada in Europe, germany was, yeah that was based in based in germany but was published in german french and english i used to get it in english it was great you got the whole european scene then there was oz juggle in australia yeah. flying kiwi in new zealand and two-ply press out of, I think they were out of California. They're out of or San something. Diego. Yeah, yeah. San Diego, right. San Diego. And they were your irreverence. They were like your, now I don't want to say your National Enquirer. <laughs> kind of like the reg the renegade kind of. Well, of, at um, a time when you got the Juggler's World magazine, 
that was the only way you found out about the festivals. Like there was no YouTube, there was no video. Right. So they always had a review in the Juggler's World magazine, but it tended to be very positive. Like everybody did great. Everybody was fantastic. <laughs> right. It was sugar-coated. Yes, and because the, the two-ply press came out and they had a columnist, I think her, uh, well, it was a her, but she went by the name uh, Thomas L., like a pseudonym. And she would say, I didn't like this. Or this person was Lisa, dropping. Lisa Thomas. Lisa, Lisa Thomas, Thomas, yes. Who unfortunately yeah, she, has, has she, not she been part of the She also wrote for Juggler's World. She yeah. also had a few reviews. And, um, she was yes, great. And I, I, reviewed, I, re, I reviewed the Burlington Festival for Two-Ply Press that year in 1990, yeah. 1994. So the Two-Ply Press, you could kind of call it like it was. And it was fun. So we're bringing them back. They're going to be there. They're going to have like press credentials. And they're going to wear press hats and, and oh, have a press great. table. So I think that'll be one of the fun surprises. That's true. Um, I, I would care to examine their press credentials at, at close, uh, close examination. <laughs> I'll be glad to meet those guys because I did write for them a little bit and I never actually met them in person. So that's, that's terrific. That's one of the features. We have a snack table that's going to be lorded over by Mark Hayward, the king of snacks. The king of snacks. And everyone's been asked to uh, bring a snack from their local area and we're going to have some local Iowa snacks. And we'll try to keep that snack table... Pretty full for the whole thing, so people could have some munchies while they're juggling and stuff. So trying to think of everything I can. And plus, you have you have these extra shows of uh, of Jay Gilligan and Peter Davison. That is absolutely uh, thrilling. I like the Club Renegades, but it seems like when you stretch Club Renegade over like four nights, there are highs and lows. Let's put it that way. (laughs) Yes. And what happened was when I went to the site, there really wasn't a great sort of local bar or pub or anywhere with a stage. And so I thought, well, let's try to create a space at the festival site itself. And let's try to bring in the History Museum and Jay Gilligan and all these things I wanted to do that also required budget. So I thought, well, if they could also mm-hmm. do a show and then help support you know, the a free workshop that everybody could enjoy, I like the idea of having extra shows, especially for $10. Yeah, that's great. You know, just go see Jay Gilligan or, or see the History Show. My feeling is that someone like a Jay Gilligan, I don't want to say it's an acquired taste, but he should have an audience that's there to see Jay Gilligan and Eric do what they do. Right, what they're doing now, because they're also, every year they're doing something different, and I'd like to know what he's doing right now. But like in the Cascade of Stars, I said, hey, Jay, I want you to do your juggling gangster routine where you just come out and just shred and you hit all the big tricks. That's for me. That's for the IJ, and that's what I want. You know, that's what I think is for the public there. But I want to give you a venue to do what you want. When professionals come to the festival, they give up a lot. Like, there's no money. I mean, they get their way paid or whatever, but they're not walking away with their usual professional fee. So what I'm trying to offer them is a situation to say, hey, here's a chance for you to do in the best situation I can give you what you do. And I want to see it because I'm interested. Because like you say, you don't know what it is or what what his new thing is. Some acts now you can see on YouTube and go, when I see that act in person, it's going to be exactly what I saw, which will be great, but the mystery isn't there. With Jay and Eric, there's always mystery. And like their definition of juggling uh, lecture, like what's that going to be? I have no idea. I have no idea, but you don't know what it is, but you know it's going to be good. That's such an interesting thing because I started thinking they had a thing on Facebook like, what activities aren't juggling? I'm involved with a toy and... They wanted to use the slogan, juggle and catch. And I'm like, juggle? Do you actually juggle with this toy? And you have to think, what do you actually juggle with? Can you juggle with a single ball? Like, I know that's contact juggling. 
I started thinking about it myself and I thought, this is a very interesting subject. What is juggling? What's the definition of juggling? And I guess uh, at Cedar Rapids, we're going to find out. Right. And it can be different for different people or can it? Oh, another surprise that I found out is I just found out the four buskers who are going to be in our Buskers Festival on Saturday because we have a Buskers Invitational. Yes, I was going to ask you about that. Yeah, and we, we went through some submissions, and the idea is that uh, these are these are buskers to obviously promote the art of juggling in our festival and our show that night, but also it's a good opportunity for some jugglers to earn a decent amount of money because it's really a good scene. There's a 10,000 people who come for a farmer's market that happens the same oh, wow. weekend as our festival. So we have four performers who the jugglers can go see because the farmer's market is like from 9 to 11 in the morning. And who exactly are the buskers that are going to be there? So I have Sam Malcolm, who's also going to be performing at the library with Tony Steinbeck uh, on Wednesday. But on Saturday morning, he's going to be doing his personal, his own solo street show. Uh, Jeremiah Johnston, who's from my area and does a lot of stuff on Facebook. He's also going to be in the Flow, Glow, and Diablo show doing his killer uh, club juggling work. Uh, Tui Wilson, who's also going to be hosting the uh, juniors competition. And last year he did a uh, act where he did a four ball back roll. Four ball back roll, right. Which is, he's the, apparently he's the only one that is doing that or has ever done that. Yeah, so he has the fourth ball as like a, a unicorn coming out of a, a, a post from his forehead. Right, on a head stick. So one in the mouth, one on each finger, one on the forehead. And then there's a back roll. It's an astonishing trick. He did it last year at the uh, at the Renegade. And then uh, he actually did it last year at, at uh, the show in El Paso because he filled in sort of last minute there. So he'll be hosting the juniors and also Jared Jensen, who I don't know very well, but who contacted me and seems like a very good performer. So we have four really good performers out there, and that's once again free for the community and for the jugglers to go down there. And but it's taking place at the same time as juggling. So we have two things at the same time, joggling and this Buskers Invitational at the Farmer's Market. Ooh, it's going to be a tough, that's going to be a tough call. Yeah, but you know, at the but, joggling, um, actually, we have a, a competitor, Bob Evans. And he's going to try uh -huh. to break a, a record, a world record. I believe it's the, it's the fastest one-mile backward joggle. Oh, so wow. that, that sounds pretty cool. So I might uh, be able to check out both. Does he wear glasses with mirrors? I don't know. That's a good question. I don't know. Good question. Yeah, you have to come out and see. So even mm -hmm. the joggling, and the joggling have a new thing this year too where they have a, a road race. They're going to have a chip in their shoe that's going to keep track of them throughout the race. And it's going to be, so it's going to be an official timed uh, race. So whatever, whatever time it goes to some official board and it becomes an official qualified time. So that's cool. I'm not going to be taking part myself. I'm going to be too busy to joggle this year. So, I thought you meant they're going to have like a pebble in their shoe as kind of an obstacle course. Kind of an obstacle? No, it's some kind of electronic meter thing that, that keeps them honest, I suppose. So, And we have the entire Cascade of Stars' book now. I have a wonderful lineup. Oh. I was just talking to Peter Davison today, who's our director. We have 12 acts, and uh, including our two headliners, Paul Ponce and uh, Gina Schwartzman Cristiani are our two headliners. Wonderful show. I think it's going to be... Uh, Fun. To, I was not going to be sitting in the audience watching. I'm not directing this one. I'm just producing. So. Oh uh, yeah, that's going to be astonishing. And Gina is, of course, terrific. She's on the highest level. I like it because we also have a good variety. We have like uh, Jonah uh, Botvinnik Greenhouse because I wanted to, I wanted to feature some young up and coming juggler 
like just a monster technical guy. We got Kevin Axel doing his fire juggling, which also is he combines it now with sort of fire magic and fire effects. And also uh-huh. we're gonna have fire at the uh, Buskers event because there's no fire uh, like at the festival. There's no fire jam. We couldn't get a right. spot for that. But there's gonna be fire at the Buskers festival and fire in the shows. So everyone's being encouraged to bring their LED props because uh, on Friday night we have an event called Glow Out to Dinner, where everyone can go into the city of Cedar Rapids, bring their glow props. And to ensure everybody had a glow prop, uh, the company I'm working with called Zing Toys has donated 350 illuminated thumbchucks, which is an illuminated oh. skill toy. So when you register, everybody will get a free uh, $10 skill toy as part of their registration. But oh, also bring good. your own yeah. stuff too. Bring your own glow props. Glow. And also uh, a couple of companies, Flow Toys and Renegade Juggling, are introducing new LED clubs, like the top of the art, state of the line, new new props. Because I always like that too at a festival where one reason you go is to see the new stuff. Because it's hard to juggle yeah. stuff online without touching it, I think. But once you feel it, you go, right. oh, I like the feel of that club. So I always like going to the festivals to seeing the new props and checking out the vendors. And we have a really good uh, selection of vendors, so I'm, I'm proud of that. Yeah, that's great. Now, you said that uh, it, part of the Flow Show is somebody doing clubs because usually flow is balls or poi or rings, but club is such a toss juggling prop. So now we have somebody doing clubs with a flow direction. Well, I was just at fire drums, which is a big flow festival here. And also at mops, which is something Marvin Ong and master Ong's prop shop puts on. And the juggling is really starting to become a big part of it. And they're kind of morphing into sort of like a, a combined activity like with a new juggling club style, where a lot of it is more almost one club or, or sort of stalls and starts and stops. Very little cascading nowadays. But the show on Thursday is called the Flow, Glow, and Diablo Show. So it's more than just a flow show. In fact, it's being hosted by Kevin Axtell and Matt Hall. So it's kind of like this meet of juggling meets flow. So Matt's going to be kind of the juggler. Kevin Axtell is the flow artist. And we're coming together in a show that kind of is going to combine both of those. And we have a great uh, Diablo artist, Alexis Levelon from France. And him and his partner are going to close the show with this beautiful duo uh, Diablo routine. So that's Thursday night, the Flow, Glow, and Diablo show. So the four shows are uh, Tuesday's The History Show with David Kane and Eric Eberg. And they're going to do a show of uh, historical tricks, videos, uh, special guests, Routines that haven't been done for hundreds of years. Right. And David is bringing his entire museum to the festival as well. I don't know if it's his entire, but it's going to be the largest uh, display of juggling props and memorabilia at any festival ever. I got him a big room and just really, I'm really big on the history of juggling. It's one of my favorite parts of the past and the performers and the names and what they did and what their lives must have been like. And I love touching their props. I love handling something from... uh, Alexander Kiss, or, or he has these torches I want to see. They were color-changing torches from Selma Bratz, which I've read about, and I go, now I can touch them. Now I can maybe even toss them around. So, Right. I read the article, and I'm trying to figure out what the, what the prop is, and now we're going to get to see it. And then, so Wednesday, then, is the, uh, J- the show. It's the Object Episodes with uh, Jay Gilligan and Eric Hebert. And they're going to do like the, sh- the thing with the Newton's Cradles, where the, the, I guess you call those where the balls that go back and forth and all kinds of crazy experimental 
that's sort of what I call the experimental show. So if the first show is the history show, this one's the experimental show. And then the next right. night, Thursday, is the Glow, Flow, and Diablo show. And then Friday, a show I'm really looking forward to is sort of an afternoon Pete, matinee. Pete Davidson's? Yeah, that'll be for, before dinner. That's like a 5 to 6 o'clock, 5 to 6.30 type of show. And then you go out to dinner afterwards, and then that night is our, is our Renegade show. So we have Renegade Friday and Saturday. And um, besides Peter Davison, you also have Sydney Marvell doing the women's show. Yeah, what we have is uh, Paprika Leverton. She did a film all about women and juggling. And this year, another focus is on female artists. Like uh, we have Gina, of course, who also is our Award of Excellence winner. She's only the second female Award of Excellence winner after Francoise Rocher. And so I thought it was long, you know, long overdue. And of course, she's also going to be featured in our show and receive her award. And her husband and son are going to be there to see her accept her reward. So I think that's a great way to get the... Right, and, they, and she also does something about the Tonga Lady, lady Jugglers. So it's a, it's a chance to see a video uh, and also a, a premiere of a, a new video she's, she's working on. And also a chance for Cindy to do what Cindy does because she's another very important part of the IJ and the festival. And I wanted to have a chance to promote female juggling. And so she's going to be doing an opening act for this presentation. That's after dinner. I think it's 8 o'clock to 9 o'clock on Friday night. And then 11 o'clock is uh, Club Renegade. Is the Renegade. Actually hosted by the Renegades themselves because Tom Renegade, Tom Kidwell, is bringing the Renegade juggling equipment to the festival. Well, sometimes Renegade is there when there's no actual Renegade. This year we got Renegade and actual Renegade juggling equipment too. So it's going to oh, be nice. back old school. Friday and Saturday night. Once again, I'm going to keep my hands off. I got the Renegade crew, Keith Nelson, Mark Hayward, Andy Peterson, John Jeshman, Crash. Whatever mm-hmm. happens, that's Renegade, right? So that's yeah. out of my control. That's Friday and Saturday night. Right. And then, of course, Cascade of Stars, Cascade of Stars on Saturday night at 8 o'clock. Right. And we're going to have a very special kind of MC system, which hasn't been announced yet, but will allow a lot of other special guests to take part and a lot of surprises in the show. I'm hoping to uh, put on, I did 13, I directed 13 of the shows myself in my career with the IGA. I was show director in the 80s and I think the last one I did was maybe five or six years ago. But I've always been really big on the shows. There's joggling and competitions, but in my mind, my real job was the shows. And the welcome show, I think, is one of, is one of my favorite parts because I like things that will never be repeated, that are like either you see them or, or you can't see them at all. And here we have two big acts. We got the Danger Committee and the Passing Zone actually teaming up, not just doing their own acts, but doing their own acts and teaming up as the Danger Zone to have a special five-person routines as well as their own individual routine. Yeah, and that's, that's Tuesday. That's Tuesday. That's Tuesday at 7.30. We also have Chloe Wallier as a special guest circus artist. So that's our show for the public to get them excited to come to bring them out and sort of get them started on our, all of our events. Because the next night is the Juniors and Youth Showcase, then Individuals and Teams. Then we have the Dark Night at the Theater, which is the Peter Davison show and, and all the other activities on Friday. Then we come back Saturday. That's our big night, Cascade of Stars and our final Renegade show. And also for the first time ever, because I thought it was kind of unfair, uh, the People's Choice Award will be voted on throughout the festival and also after the Cascade of Stars. So it'll be another hour of voting after the Cascade of Stars because a lot of times the acts in the Cascade of Stars don't get considered for the festival. 
Right, because the award goes before that show. Yeah, all the voting is closed. So what we're going to do is we're going to get the award, uh, all the ballots in before the Renegade show starts. We're going to count those in real time and then announce those, you know, probably an hour into the show. So people can vote for Axe and the Cascade of Stars or anybody over the whole course of the festival. I thought that was a more fair way to do it. Definitely. Well, you really have something for everybody. You have the, the shows and the workshops for the jugglers. You have the people and the public and the newbies. Who they, you have the, um, the, the uh, coaching lounge and the uh, buskers to get people interested, to get new people interested. You got the whole thing for the kids and the teens with the youth showcase and the and then you have the whole this whole women's events going on so there's something for everybody and there's more there's aerial workshops ah. our, our aerial workshops are upstairs we're gonna have uh, all the days there they're gonna have aerial workshops and this coaching lounge is great because richard kinnison has two uh competitors in the finals so the coach we have richard is one of the best juggling coaches around and on friday saturday after the competitions are over He'll do four hours each day where you can go up, you can get like 15 minutes, show them a trick, show them your form, get video feedback from a professional juggling coach. That's another free uh, benefit of coming to the festival. And also all the right. special and workshops he has, are his um, Delaney Bales uh-huh. is is competing in the in the individuals this year. And Zach and McAllister, she won, she, she won the the juniors last year. Yeah, Zach McAllister. Did she win last year? I forget. I don't think so. She won the yeah no she won did the she? juniors yes hmm. yes she did. Okay, I like I said I'm unless it was the year before in uh, Quebec City, but I think it was last year. Gosh, I I'm she definitely sort of... won. She definitely won the juniors either last year or the year before. I don't think so it was, I don't think it was last year. Last year I was a judge, and I think I had a re- I don't remember who won, but I think I remembered if she won. So I apologize to the person who won. It must have been uh, Quebec City the year before because uh, it's great to see her come back and and perform and uh, compete at, in the individuals. That's great. Well, I, I was a prelim judge because I wanted to make sure I could see every act, and that there was acts that didn't make it. You know, see if there's another place for them. So I got to see her act. I got to see Zach's act, who's another one of Richard's students, Zach McAllister. In, in fact, I'm really happy. How old is he? He's about 19, I think. Young kid. So him and Delaney and Jonah Bodvinnik Greenhouse, you got these this whole teen thing going on. I, I hope so. We got a Diablo thing because we got the Sunday Diablos. We got Rio Yabe. We got just so many. Uh, I really I really tried hard. So I hopefully it'll all come together and and everybody will have a great time. I have a lot of nice people. I think the workshops with Peter and Jay. We have Amron Rosval. And the thing is, you can make your own magnet clubs. He's going to bring magnets. If you bring the the plastic clubs, he's going to teach you how to make your own magnet clubs. So, oh, wow. yeah, there's probably more too, but I think we've. Uh, <laughs> I think I got to leave some surprises, right? Got to leave some surprises. So yeah, and we've come to the end of our time. I mean, our time has actually gone very quickly. So uh, we covered you and your your. We didn't okay. We didn't do one thing though. To wrap uh-huh. up. Another one of your, your hobbies is limericks. You've written a book of limericks. Can you end our podcast, the Drop Everything podcast, Raphael Harris, with a limerick? I can, uh, you know, limericks is a little bit like juggling. The first, the first routine kind of warms you up for the next one and the next one. So I'll give you a couple of limericks. Well, how about two? Give us two. But clean ones, I hope. The or clean fairly ones. Clean, okay. Fairly clean. Okay. So this is the limerick I won't say. 
<laughs> there once was a juggler named Paul who was talented, handsome, and tall. He said I'd go far and be a big star if only I had one more ball. Okay. That's, that's, it's, 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 uh, there's a double meaning there, but it's a funny one. Okay. I thought you were going to be like, there was another named Dan. Whoever knew was the mm-hmm. man. No, I'm just making it up. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Go give us one more. Take us home with one more, Raphael. Okay. There once was a gibbon. A gibbon is a kind of an ape. I know that. There once was a gibbon named Zake, whose chimpanzee wife baked a cake. He grabbed a big hunk. His wife said, you skunk, our marriage is all give and take. Ah, well, thank you so much. We'll end on that note. Raphael Harris for being on Drop Everything Podcast. Thank you, Raphael. Dan, it's a pleasure. You're very welcome. Well, put a fork in it. That was episode number 48. I hope you enjoyed my talk with juggling journalists, uh, interesting guy all around, Raphael Harris. Thanks, Raphael. Can't wait to see you in Cedar Rapids in just a couple of weeks. What's happening in Cedar Rapids, you say? It's the IGA Festival. That's right, of course, July 10th through the 16th in Cedar Rapids. Go to juggle.org for all the festival information. Let's also thank Ring Dama at www.ringdama.com. Wear it like a ring, but play it like a toy. The skilled toy that's sweeping the world and making it clean. Let's also thank Zing Toys, makers of the Zing Dama. Thanks to my listeners, and don't forget, drop everything except when you're juggling.